Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Gapped Podcast Habs. Fantastic to have you here. Alaikum salam. Just from the off, have you recovered from your major trip? I think, um, yeah, I've started to recover. Um, although in the weekend I did a ride from London to Oxford and I think that tired me out more than the whole Pan-Celtic race. So go figure. But yeah, alhamdulillah, I think uh, I've managed to raid the fridge as much as I can. Um, and alhamdulillah, um, feeling feeling a lot better now. Alhamdulillah, brilliant, brilliant ride. And But before we go into it, so just for context for the listeners, uh, Tabs just completed the Pan-Celtic race. It is an ultra distance race that has different versions throughout the years, uh, but it's like a, how do you say, um, a homage to the Celts? The Celtic nations, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. right. So. It started this year. It started in Normandy for the first time in France, and then a trip across the Channel before traveling a bit of England and then across Wales. Yeah, yeah. brilliant, brilliant. Before we go into that and how you got there, because um, yeah, it's quite a journey of how you got there. <laughs> uh, where did it all begin for you? I, think, I suppose taking up cycling actually began for me um, about three or four years ago. Um, it was just before actually lockdown, um, just needed to do a bit of exercise, but just for, I, w- I was struggling a lot with mental, my mental well-being and mental health. Um, and I just, I had just recognized that I, I needed help or I needed to do something to, to get me out of what was happening inside my own head. Um, and, um, you know, as you do, you go online, you research a few things and cycling came up as one of those things. I'm not really a gym person, so I thought, let's give it a go. I remember back in my childhood, not really uh, getting along with mountain bikes, and uh, uh, but I really enjoyed the BMX bikes. Just you didn't have to faff with gears. You just jumped on a bike and, and rode. So again, a bit of research got me to um, the the whole fixie single speed kind of scene and bike so I thought you know that's what I need I just need something simple something nimble and you know let's go with that um and it it gave me a love for cycling that I never thought I'd get because it was just the simplicity of jumping on a bike and deciding where to go and back then I didn't have a GPS unit I didn't know anything about Kumut or Strava so it was kind of like let me go in a particular direction and let me see where I go and try to figure it out as I go along um, with some help with local friends and um, kind of, you know, took single speed into single tracks out into Hertfordshire. Um, and it really I really enjoyed the process of being able to push myself. Obviously, you know, you're going up hills on one gear. Um, you, you know, you need to push yourself and, you know, you need to have that mental strength to be able to go further but it was being in nature and going to these different places that I'd never been before, although I live 10, 15 minutes away, that really allowed me to kind of find a love for cycling. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's how it started. And how I got into road cycling was uh, a charity ride that I'd signed up for, for London to Hastings. Um, I contacted the organizers and said, is it possible to do it on a single speed? And they were like, yeah, it should be, but it didn't sound too convincing. So I was like, hmm, maybe I need something with a bit of gears. So uh, went on to Gumtree for a, f- for a few weeks and 10, 10 minutes down the road, a lady was selling her, her old rally steel bike, bought that. Um, for about I think about 50 quid she knocked out knocked off 20 pounds because I was doing a charity ride Um, and then ever since then ever since that ride um, I kind of fell in love with the whole the whole traveling with a bike as opposed to quote-unquote cycling as a sport Um, so that's that's how it started off so the idea of touring which I particularly love as well yeah and uh, what we're trying to offer as well, in a sense, mm-hmm. like you've come on our trip mm-hmm. and we'll go into that in a yeah, bit, inshallah. Yeah. I've been stalking you or following you for a while, like I said, I I saw you pop up a few years ago, initially on gravel rides mm-hmm. with a few work colleagues, was it? Yes, yeah, okay. yeah. So how did that go then into the road aspect other than the charity ride or was that part and parcel? Um, it was kind of part and parcel. So after, after the charity ride, um, 
the 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 brother that was leading us our our group um, i got i got to know him really well and he he mentioned that you know i i've always I'd always questioned my abilities up until that point because I was only riding by myself and only for fun. This wasn't kind of serious. So he was like, you know, in North London, there, there are some brothers that, that, that cycle as a club. And that's the first time I heard of the Bob, the Bob group, um, Bob cycling club. And, you know, got me in touch with, uh, Rahat from Palmer's green. And there it kind of, you know, started to, I remember, you know, the summer that I con uh, kind of contacted Rahat that summer was huge because I joined a lot of a lot of rides, um, really early morning rides and then the Sunday rides as well. Um, and I really, I really enjoyed them. Um, but there came a point where, you know, where so sometimes I felt like I needed to go, you know, we'd be, we'd be cycling past a trail and I'd be like, oh, that looks interesting. Um, or, you know, we'd whiz past something and I'm like, I really wanted to stop just to have a look. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I spoke to colleagues about this at work and some of them were getting into cycling. Um, and we were like, let's let's do some type of like tour or something like that. Um, no, not knowing what bike like cycle touring was, not know knowing what bike packing was. We were just like, let's for the hell of it, let's let's do it. So one one of them had a harebrained idea that we would do London to London to Cornwall um, for for a good adventure, good holiday. We were all working around in the same department as well, or near near enough. So, and we were all kind of managers as well. So it helped that we could manage our own time. So yeah, um, we kind of decided the date and uh, went for it. Um, one thing I would say to the listeners is when you're when you're um, when you're in a group and someone decides that they're going to design the route, always double check it because, um, yeah, this individual, um, Tiago, had a electric mountain bike and his terrain was fully off-road, mountainous rubble. I wouldn't even say gravel. Um, but it showed me a lot about what I loved about being on two wheels, um, which was getting out there and, you know, just exploring and, you know, when we got to when we got to Cornwall, after a few bumps and scrapes, and you know maybe a few train rides as well, um, we you know it 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 started the love of being out there and seeing places. That was it for me, and being able to experience different areas and different different people. Understood. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, what I want to dive into a little bit is mm. the fact that you started off not too long ago. But now you are perhaps one of very, very few people uh, in the Muslim community who have completed an ultra. I, I think you might be one of three, mm. unless obviously there may perhaps maybe a few others as mm -hmm. well that I'm not aware of. And even beyond the Muslim community and the wider cycling community, even then, it's perhaps less than 1% yeah. of the community, if, if not half a percent. So I'm just wondering, how do you get from like uh, work colleague rides after work 10 15 miles on a canal to riding a, approximately a thousand or 1500 kilometers across several countries mm -hmm. it's a good question and you know if you would ask my mom, my mom and my wife they they call it a midlife crisis but um i i attribute it to um knowing that being and i bring it back uh, and I will always bring it back to helping myself be able to focus mentally. It's helped me a lot, um, not only from an exercise point of view, but from a home and professional life as well. And so it was it was kind of like every time I did a cycle or a tour or went somewhere, it was like, how can I push myself further? Now, not for not for, you know, stats or figures, but me myself how how can i push myself a lot a lot harder and you know you watch youtube videos and you start watching the ultras and you know kind of like tcr and silk silk road mountain race and stuff like that and you know these shout out to hashim who's yeah yeah shout out to hashim who's on the transcontinental at the As moment we speak yeah yeah, yeah um, sorry, and uh, you know make sure make sure you get a bit more sleep <laughs> absolutely um but yeah it's it's 
kind of how how do I how do I process this so I can do it in a way that um, I can you know be able to say to myself that you know incrementally I'm making improvements as I go along and you know you watch these videos and then you you follow certain people and you think mm, I, I'd like to have a go at this and um, obviously certain parts of certain individuals from our community have been doing some of these longer rides um, you know and you know you kind of think to yourself maybe I'll try it you know I'll give it a try but that's only a thought that's not even you know I'm gonna actually do it it's 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 planting the seed now um, but to get to that starting point there's so much of a process that I didn't even realize um, until I was within that process and then got to the starting point. But when you watch the YouTube videos, they make, it so, easy. They make it so easy. They make it like, wow, you know, this is this is an adventure of a lifetime, which it is. But there's so much work that goes into it that sometimes you don't really see in the background. And you can be naive and just sign up to one, can't you? Like, yeah, very, very. And, you know, you ask yourself, um, and we'll probably get into it, what the hell am I doing here? Um, you had brilliant support in the run-up to the Pan-Celtic race. Mm -hmm. You were picked as a scholar, uh, ultra-distance... Scholarship, scholarship, yeah. Scholarship, yeah, yeah. Um, one of three. Mm -hmm. uh, can you go into what they are looking for in mm. picking you and mm. the others mm. and what they offer as well. Mm. So I've been following the ultra distance scholarship from it, from its inception and um, followed Vera's the, the, one of the first scholars, uh, her, her journey through her training in the pan Celtic as well. And it, it, it really resonated in, in terms of, you know, what they were trying to do in, in terms of kind of, giving a space to minorities um, to actually get onto the start line of these ultras because the one thing that you may notice about these type of events is a very niche cycling community and then within that um, there are there is probably a certain demographic of people that actually do it um, and that could be for many reasons um, so the fact that they're trying to get a lot more people um, of color onto uh, um, and minorities onto the start line is um, is is quite amazing. But it was almost like the second year that they went into. I I was supposed to apply for it, but I procrastinated and procrastinated, and time went and totally forgot about it. And then this year, um, I kind of put my application in as you do last minute. Um, but I I was when I applied it wasn't about what I was going to get what I was going to get it was what could my thinking was what I, what could I give back from the experience that I got from it because it's a it's a privilege to be chosen out of many people three people um, and I, I can't remember you know out of 60 people applying three people get chosen that's that's huge um, so you know being able to translate that so that I can whatever I learn or whatever I've benefited from to be able to give back um, was an important thing for me to actually apply for it in the first place. Because for me, it, was, it wasn't a case of, oh, I'm going to apply for this so that I can say that I did it. That was never the intention. And if, if that was going to be the driving force, um, I would never have got where I got today. Um, it was always in the back of my mind, how can I give back? Um, and so... I can't, I can't, because I, 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 obviously I'm not, I'm, I'm not privy to kind of the, 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 the core amount of work that goes into the scholarship, but I do believe, you know, from my experience now, you know, what they're looking for is just, you know, people that, you know, really enjoy, love to cycle, but, you know, also have this astute mental you know, toughness to be able to go through nine months from being totally new to getting to the starting line. You know, uh, we're not even going to get to the race itself, but getting to there, it requires a certain toughness. But also, do you have that support mechanism um, within your own circle of family and friends? Because that as well is so important. 
for you to be able to carry on because had I not had that support from from my own family from my wife and my, even my kids um again I wouldn't be here where I am today talking talking about this and uh so do you want to go into a little bit of detail as to what they offer so the ultra distance scholarship um they from from the outset um they they kind of explain what what it is that um you will get um in the form of help to get you to the start line so um you get um um tailored one-on-one coaching with um coach allison um and and that's tailored where you you have a first session and then you start talking about what what it is you need um to improve on and how we're gonna how we're gonna work towards getting getting each individual to to the start line um and then you know you've got the sponsors and the supporters as well so you know you know alhamdulillah gratefully we had sponsors like tailfin um you know i'm not sure if the community whoever whoever does a lot of backpacking will know who tailfin are um you know they they supplied us with all the whole the whole lot you know not just one bag everything um as well as a custom-made stayer cycle um which you know subhanallah um true i am truly grateful for um not because that it was it was just given but the care and attention that the whole process was to get to get that bike was you know just it opened my eyes up to just what it means how lo- how small businesses work and how much more we as as a community as a muslim community should be supporting supporting small businesses and small organizations as well because there's a hell of a lot of work that goes into you know in this case one bike the stayer bike just go in detail for a sec it's not just a off-the-shelf bike is it no no so in tandem with our bike fit um which I, I'm assuming we're going to get into yeah, in a yeah, bit. Yeah. In tandem with the bike fit, um, the measurements get sent to the guys at Steyr. And then from there, they build the bike um, using um, you know our measurements um, and also our riding style as well that was discussed in the bike fit. And so once you get the bike, um, you, you've kind of, you can literally jump on it and you know everything is more or less set barring maybe the seat height and things like that 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 had to be you know uh, amended slightly but generally you could just generally jump on a bike and that bike is tailored to you and only you um which you know it sounds sounds quite you know it for talking about it now sounds you know how is that possible you know um i've, I've got a couple of other bikes which you know fit okay i can cycle them all right but this one is i feel different when i'm cycling it um i can go further i can go faster i feel so much more comfortable so it has all of those comp- all of those components and all of those things play a factor in how good you cycle and how well you cycle as well i believe anyway and uh i'm a geek <laughs> so i'd like to go into builds as well so you mentioned obviously you had the telfin bag which is, for those who don't know, the market leader in bikepacking yeah. bags currently. Yeah. So it's very lightweight, um, unintrusive. It can fit almost every bike and uh, it can carry a, about 20 liters. Yeah, 70, something like, something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. and then you can add a ton of other bags on the sides. And yeah, it's the go to. Um, bike bags for all the influencers currently it's yeah yeah it way, is right? yeah yeah because yeah. it is the best one out there yeah. uh, but it's also about half a grand <laughs> for the for the whole kit yeah it's uh, it's quite a lot of money yeah. yeah yeah and then so you mentioned bike uh what's the build on the bike the build oh right so um in terms of the build itself so you've got obviously you've got the steel frame then we've got um uh, see i'm a fan of steel yeah yeah i know <laughs> i know <laughs> Um, and I think for myself as well, my my first road bike was a steel bike. Um, I think you know it, there there's that sentimentality there, and I want and, and the fact that it was steel really resonated with me. Obviously, it's a lot more lighter than my road bike, um, but you know it's it, it, 
for, and definitely in on the race itself, it was a tank. Um, you know, we can go into that a little in, bit. In a good sense or a bad? In a brilliant sense. Okay. Um, and there were some sketchy situations yeah. that I were in that, that I got into and ha- and did happen to myself. Um, you know, I got cut up a little bit, but the bike was other than maybe a few s- scratches on the bar tape and maybe the handles. It's it's perfect. GRX, if I remember. GRX um, group set. TT handlebars. Uh, yeah, we got the TT handlebars as well. Um, was that part of your bike fit included? That or? was part of the part of the bike fit. Um, you know, um, kind of had that towards the end. Um, just just maybe a. F- Maybe a few weeks before the race, we we had the uh, the TT bars put on um, just as part of the fit. But yeah, um, and then the saddle um, uh, that I had was a Pro Logo saddle. Um, played around with it for a while, but found the one that I uh, I need uh, that worked for me. Coaching nutrition as well. Did you have so the so the coaching part, so the physical part of training, you get one to one. The nutrition part now is. I suppose this is where I struggled um, uh, along the whole journey, um, which was I I'm I'm never good at fueling on a bike anyway. I, I don't my body doesn't really do well with gels and the the kind of like the cycling nutrition type thing, um, and so that aspect of the the scholarship, you know. And maybe maybe they'll, they'll in the future there'll be there'll be an aspect for it. But I had to do a lot of reading around and searching around and asking for what type of nutrition I needed to, I needed to do. And I understand it because everybody's different. You know, if you looked at the three the three of us that were part of the scholarship, you know, uh, um, Sean who who's a diabetic, you know, it's different in terms of his nutrition, but he's younger than me. So his nutrition would be a whole lot different to me, um, you know, as a 43-year-old, um, you know, that hasn't really, you know, gone into much training for, for the last 10 years or so. So, you know, I understand it from that point of view. It can be very, you have to be very careful when you when you start talking about nutrition. So for me, it was, you know, that was the hardest part. But once I'd found, you know, what worked for me and once I found my sweet spot and what it is that I needed on the bike, um, I, I it it was plain sailing from there. So that was probably the only thing that you don't get from the scholarship, and ho- I'm hoping I'm hoping that will change as well. Maybe a nutritionist will get on yeah. on board as well. But you had a mentor. And I had a mentor, yeah. and I imagine that was perhaps the best part of the package was it it was probably one of the ones that i tapped into the most you know you get stuff you know some of the stuff you don't start using until like you know the bags and everything we got in the winter but we didn't start using it till till it got a little bit more sunny um but the mentoring part of it was for me just um it, it was the the cherry on top of of the whole thing because you had an individual um and all of us had individuals that had gone on to do on to uh, or had done um ultras i was fortunate enough to have anisa who um did the gb duro during lockdown um so you can imagine during lockdown everywhere was closed they were all the riders it was compulsory for them to carry all their food for that whole race that whole time so um, I, I'm grateful for having her because she brought a different element to the mentorship, which was, you know, she's, you know, she's quite like, you know, she's gone through a lot of tough ultras. So giving those little snippets of advice really helped. Um, and not only in our coaching sessions, just outside. So I'd be on a ride and get frustrated that I, I messed up my, my nutritionist, say, or I got cramp. Um, and a quick message would be like, okay, did you try this? Did you try that? And and I'd be like, okay, let me try that again. Um, so yeah, it was definitely something that um, was well used throughout this whole process. So let's go back a touch. Mm-hmm. You got accepted around January time, is that right? No, about October time. Okay. October time. So yeah. you had about nine months mm-hmm. to prepare. So how do you prepare for several hundreds? Sorry, hundreds, if not thousands, thousands. of miles of uh, ultra 
racing effectively um so i think the first thing that you once you once you've been accepted is um you need to get your fit bike fit straight away um that's that's that is integral to you know getting the bike built and so on and so forth so you go for the bike fit first of all and i think within a few days i booked my session with um foundation bike fit um um and back then they were based in on tottenham just off tottenham court road and store street so you know i'd i'd understood a little bit about bike fits um you know you kind of watch youtube videos on how to get your optimal seat and things like that and that was about it um so going into there um not knowing what it is what the science behind it was and what was what was i going to get out of it was quite well, i was really anxious to start off with um but the the team there were amazing and just way um you know he's been doing it for such a long time um he kind of you know puts you at ease as soon as as soon as you walk into the studio and you jump on the bike um and bearing in mind that was the first time that i've done any indoor cycling so you know the, the the temperature gets quite spicy quite quickly um but you know um after after you start getting into into, into like the cycling um on on the trainer um and then you know all the sensors are being put on and ways looking at you taking photos and videos of you from all different angles you're having a conversation while you're doing it how does it feel what you know how are your hands how are your legs and so on and so forth so um like like i said last week it, it's not it's not so much you being told what to do or you being told that this is this is how this is how your bike's going to feel it's a collaboration between you and the bike fitter um and it's and it wasn't just just the sessions it was outside it was you know i'll be on a, on a bike ride and that doesn't feel right send a quick message and say have I done something wrong or do, do we need an amendment somewhere so that constant conversation happened throughout the nine months it wasn't just one session or two yeah. sessions and that's it um, and so you go in you you go through that process of actually learning about your body now what is your optimum style of riding where should you where you know where where should you be cycling from where is the power coming from you know um, why am I getting pains in my shoulders? And you learn a lot of that. Um, and for me, um, having not done any formal training, um, I was pretty worried about my knees and my hip mobility. And again, you know, the guy, you know, when we when we spoke about it, um, after after a bit of time on the bike, Wei got me off the bike and just we just started to do some mobility exercises and more importantly, looking at imbalances to see where my imbalances are and where I can work on them. Um, and again, giving me exercises, which I utilized throughout the high nine months, actually utilized within the Pan-Celtic as well. Um, not as, you know, not as religiously, but you know, when I, when I, when I had time, I, I, I would do it. Um, and it really, it really helped and supported me in that way. Brilliant. So what did the training and that side of things look at? look like as you were ramping up the miles so the training started off quite you know it, it was it was quite good you know in terms of um it started off nice and slow you know eased into it and um we and another things uh, one of the other things that we received as recipients is um the um the whole set from wahoo oh, so they're nice. sponsors as well so we got an indoor trainer um, all the sensors and a GPS unit as well. So uh, again, um, fully grateful for that. But we hadn't, we didn't get those until like kind of just before Christmas. Okay. So whilst our training had started in around October, it was really hard to get into the training on the bike because it's really hard to do intervals on the road. And you know, this was these intervals were new to me as well so i wasn't sure what routes to take to do them the so you know it would be partly kind of going into the gym and going onto the the the, the, the bike basically and trying to you know but again there were amendments so once a conversation was had with with coach allison that you know i can't do it on the road it just doesn't feel comfortable okay get on the get in the bike on the gym and then let's see let's let's change it up a little bit um so in that way, 
you know, we started off really, really kind of slow. And once the indoor trainer came um, and then linked to kind of like our training peaks program, so to speak, um, that's when the training started to kind of take a take a mind of its own sort of thing. And, you know, um, we started to kind of do two to three indoor sessions with gym sessions, um, um, stretching mobility sessions as well. Um, and then, you know, rest days and things like that. So it kind of, you know, it would, we started to peak around kind of, for me, it started to peak around maybe February, March, April time. That that was my peak, because prior to that, um, I'd fallen ill and I'd had a few, I had a few personal things um, happen, and I couldn't train for around two months, so that set me back a lot. Um, so getting back into it, um, it felt like an even more struggle to to get back into it. And obviously, the worry now is that I've lost two months, so I'm my training is way way you know. It has been it had been slowed down so much can I really do this and that that stayed with me up until kind of traveling to France is am I ready for this because of the drawback that I had those two months so you know I understand now the the progress of consistency and just being consistent day in and day out or week in and week out it makes such a big difference when you're training or when whatever you're doing if you're consistent in it you will get better um, but the moment you kind of take a massive break and it could be for various reasons it's so much more harder to get back into it um, so yeah that's when we peaked and then you know kind of like a month before before the race uh, we kind of started to taper off a little bit um still doing the indoor sessions but our, our gym sessions kind of got a little bit more lighter it's kind of maintenance as opposed to lifting any more heavier sort of thing um and then yeah and then probably like the week just before the race it was just rest just not nothing strenuous in fact a week and a half before the race nothing strenuous um just resting so what would you say is you've picked up would you say in your preparation that you put your finger on and say, right, it was that one thing or that those two things I did, which really, really helped me, which really supported me in my race. <coughs> Be it something they gave you or something you picked out yourself. I think the first thing was being able to, what being able to find a mechanism to be able to center myself. So whether I, I I was on a real high that I'd done a brilliant ride or whether I was on a really low downer that, you know, that indoor session was completely, it went completely rubbish. It was something to center myself so that I could come back the next day and say to myself, okay, we do it again. Um, and so one of the things that I would do quite, and I still do is, is a lot of breath work, just trying to make sure that, um, you know, I, I can understand, I can, I, I can feel, I can feel the, you know, the endorphins, I can feel the adrenaline, but also reminding myself that there's going to be hard times, reminding myself that what do I do when I am on a low and how do I manage that? Because, you know, when things are going great, it's brilliant. You know, you, you're, you're on cloud nine and you, you, f you feel that you can, you can do anything. But what do you do when you're on your low? And that that's what taught me the most about my training is how do I manage myself when I, I can't do it anymore? When I feel that I've got nothing left to give, how can I give more? That's when that's for me, that's that's what helped me through this whole process. Um, and, you know, for, for anyone listening, I would say as well is being able to find that mechanism so that you can say to yourself that okay what is it that's going to get me to carry on going on this journey or on the next ride or on your next indoor session where, wherever it is what is it that's going to get you carrying on when you have had a bad day or you have had a bad session excellent so the opposite question now so what in your preparation would you say which you spent time effort or money in and you were like, no, that was a complete waste of time and advice in a sense to others who are preparing for something big. 
Um, I think some of some of the rides that maybe were suggested or maybe that I did, um, I think I could have utilised my time a lot better. Um, I could have sought advice a little bit better. Um, so, you know, some of the rides that I did by myself, I could have personally just done an Audax and it would given it would have given me that that kind of understanding of what time constraints you know when you're getting when when you're timing yourself to certain checkpoints and so on and so forth yeah. um what it means um that you know so i would say I, and i'm not knocking you know going for your your you know your own solo ride and stuff like that but when you're training for something like an ultra it has to be very specific um and so you know, while some of my rides, probably one of my longest rides that I did um, was very specific and I was really geared to what I needed to do. Some of the other other ones, maybe, you know, I could have done a lot better in terms of, you know, what the intention was behind it and managed it a lot better as opposed to saying, uh, I did six hours of riding. Yeah, but did what did I get out of it sort of thing? So, yeah, that that, that for me, that was one of the things that I think I could have... I could have done a lot better and I, and you know regret is high hindsight is a brilliant thing but yeah it's something that i could have done so a bit better. time management in terms of yeah. rides and stuff basically yeah. excellent so now let's go to the ride itself um the emotions that's usually what makes or breaks a person mm. and how they deal with it mm. so you're on the start line there's 100 200 300 people around you what are you feeling at that time Start line, well, um, feels like ages ago now, but the start line, um, if you had given me a ticket to go home, I would have taken it. That was how I was feeling. I was feeling really overwhelmed um, within with the whole process. Um, I generally, I'm quite an introvert. I'm, I'm not really outgoing, so to speak. Um, so being around people for for that many people for about two and a half days before the race kind of messed me up a little bit um you know for me i would have kind of you know knowing what i know now i would have you know had had my own space to actually process what's happening go through my own thought process to get me to a right state of mind to be to start on the starting line um, I didn't um, and that kind of set me back quite quite badly so you know whilst you know some people will say that they're on a high and they're ready to go whilst I wanted the race to start I wasn't in the right frame of mind and it was kind of like am I why am I here do I really want to do this and there was such a such a range of emotions going through me that I think I got tired during that whole waiting period to start the race I was already tired so by the time we'd started cycling you know it was like you know my mind had just my mental capacity had just been fizzled out there was there was nothing more left so I was kind of like a shell just just cycling plod, plodding along for that first day um and unfortunately that that stayed with me for for a good few days um uh and i say unfortunately because there were some beautiful places that i'd uh, that i'd cycle past or some of the scenery and i couldn't really enjoy it the way that i wanted to enjoy it i knew that i wasn't gonna i wasn't i knew from the start that i wasn't going to race this this was for me um so kind of like that pressure was taken off slightly um even before i got to france but the 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 pressure of trying to figure out what it is that's bugging me and trying to work through it while you're drink while you're on an ultra um while you're by yourself is really really hard so after the first day um jade my my uh, the other recipient of the ultra distance scholarship and and we trained a lot during this whole process we'd made the decision that okay in order for both for for both of us to help out each other we would stop at the same campsites every night um, so then we could, you know, discuss what's happening, um, be able to kind of, you know, have a back and forth conversation about, you know, what it is we were feeling and so on and so forth. Um, and that really helped. And that I think that decision early on enabled me 
to be able to complete the race and to be able to to get even better when 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 I got into Wales um um it was it was a decision that I'm grateful for making um and we both made um but on the way as well kind of meeting like two extra people um really made it you know, we, we kind of had a quartet sort of thing that we would bypass each other at certain points um, and again that helped as well um, to be able to kind of help me reset a little bit you, you know you're talking to different people now because when you're by yourself you know in another country maybe in the UK it's a bit different because you know where, where things are but when you're in the north of France where it's just cornfields on one side and, and wheat fields on the other and there's no one there no shops or anything it can be quite difficult Absolutely. Absolutely. So you went through a lull. Um, there were times on your Instagram where it looked like you were ready to throw the towel yeah, in. Yeah. How do you get out of that? Or how did you get out of that? How did I get out of that? That um, There was a few things. So one, I am so grateful for this community um, um, within Instagram and, and, and outside of Instagram, the, the, the cycling community, the Muslim cycling community, as well as other communities of cycling, because there was, when I would stop, there would be a fl flurry of messages. And not just, you've got this, bro, um, you know, because that's not something you want to hear <laughs> when you're on the downer. There were, there were genuine messages of, you know, um, have you eaten? Are you, are you going to the toilet? Okay, even that, even that could could you know could mess you up, sort of thing. You know, a little bit of advice, but you know, people willing to to just be there for you and and listen to you if you needed it. Um, there were quite a few individuals that um, that that offered that. Um, so yeah, one that was the the support and obviously the support of my family as well. My wife, I think, she probably was with me in that race um, on the phone quite often um you know at all sorts of times um she would pick up the phone and just either listen to me rant listen to me cry listen to me just sigh there were a lot of emotions and alhamdulillah you know I i'm blessed to, to have had her throughout this whole journey um but yeah it's it, it's also being able to uh, kind of understand what your why is why are you doing this you know um, and for me it was to be able to show my kids that at this age, um, going through a whole change of work jobs and everything like that, that you can do whatever you want. I've got a 13 year old son that's, that's growing up to become a young man now. And I've got um, three teenage daughters that are now, you know, working and they're doing their own thing. But to inspire them to be able to become the people that I know that they can be, but through action, because I can say this to them and they can say, yeah, okay, no worries, Dad, that's all right, that's okay. But to actually show them that um, I'm willing to do that um, and put myself through that and to be able to complete it in a way that I can come home and talk about it and still, you know, try to inspire them on an everyday basis. For me, that was my why. Um, and to also, you know, document what I was going through in a realistic way. Um, not not just ranting about the bad stuff and not just saying everything's all rosy, but being being you know trying to be as transparent as I could when it came to a newbie taking on an ultra, um, and so doing that kind of gave me the the strength to carry carry on going that that you know to that next city or to the next day because there were there were various kind of for me checkpoints it wasn't just the checkpoints of the race itself it was can i get to the next city let's let's re, re reassess how i'm feeling then and then can i get to the next day or can i get to the campsite and there was there was a lot of mind games playing with myself where can i get to next um which eventually got me to, got me to wales alhamdulillah so how many days were you out there so I was out there for I think a total thirteen days. Thirteen days, madness. And uh, what was your feelings then when you finally completed it? Wow. Um, so a bit of context to that. So we got to we got to the coast on North Wales, um, and the weather was quite atrocious that last day anyway. Um, 
But as we got to the coast of North Wales, we had gale force winds, rain, like torrential rain, like biblical rain. Um, and, you know, so we're cycling, going round, and then you're kind of, you get to the Great Orm now, um, so you can see it. And I could barely cycle my bike. I had to stop several times because I was getting pushed by the wind. Oh, so and Andy, who who had met a, a, a day and a half before in Wales, um, in the middle of Wales, we decided to finish the race together. We, 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 practically, we were practically kind of at the same speed. So we made that decision. So I looked at him and I was like, I don't think we should carry on because there's a fair bit of elevation now to get to the Great Orm, to the, to, to the top. So he looked at me and he'd already done the Pan-Celtic the following year and he was like, yeah, this isn't safe. So along with his advice and with, with his better judgment, um, we were like, okay, we're going to go straight to the house now, um, which is what we did. Um, so part of me was like, okay, I haven't done this bit, but this is it. The race is finished now. I've got to North Wales. Alhamdulillah, I've completed it you know, this is a massive achievement. So we got to the house and they weren't quite expecting us at that time, obviously, rightly so. And we Sorry, explained. Time was it? So we got there about 10 o'clock at okay. night. So, yeah. you know, they were obviously expecting us to, to be a little bit later. Um, but we explained what happened. Then we were like, yeah, come in. Race is finished now for you guys. Um, so, yeah, just gave in our trackers and everything and just started chatting to the organisers. Um, who were really, you know, really opened their homes, uh, opened their house um, to us that evening and, and the following day as well. But whilst we were talking and I was eating some food, I was really, there was something really bugging me and I just, it, it just, I felt like there was something in the pit of my stomach, but I couldn't, I couldn't quite understand what it was. Um, so about midnight, um, we, we left the house to go to our hotel which wasn't too far had a hot shower got into bed and I'm lying down and I'm thinking I'm not done yet this this isn't this isn't finished for me um, and it suddenly occurred to me that I needed to do the great orm I needed to finish that last bit of the route I won't say race because my race had been completed um, that last bit of the route for myself now um, which is what I did. So the next, so this was around two o'clock in the morning. So I put on some crappy movies on the TV, ate as many snacks as I could that I had left on the bike, and four o'clock in the morning, put on some soggy, soggy clothes. Um, no GPS, no tracker. I went up to the Great Orm and and did a, a loop of the Great Orm. Um, and once I got to halfway, um, it was like this. It started sunrise start, start had started um, and all of a sudden now all the noise in my head had gone and I suddenly felt peace I felt tranquility I felt like wow this is what it's about and it's it sounds quite crazy that it happened on the last the last part of you know the route and I've just I've more or less finished but Everything that I had gone through throughout that whole time had brought me to this point where, you know, I said to myself that, you know, a range of emotions came, you know, tears and everything like that. But, you know, you kind of say to yourself, wow, I did this. Um, and you finally, that self-confidence, that self-belief just took a hold of me. And I was like, it wasn't ego. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, kind of, being egotistical and you know I, I'm the man it wasn't like that it was I can do this and I've done it um, and then yeah finished it went back to the hotel had a hot shower and went straight to bed and that was probably the best sleep I'd had in about 13 days <laughs> that's incredible and um, I just want to let the listeners know the Great Orm absolutely beautiful that little road it is hilly to get to the top and then you got a nice descent halfway down but you think you're on an island in the south of Wales, yeah, off the yeah, south of Wales, yeah. uh, south of Spain or something. Yeah, right? yeah. Okay. It's like, you know, you start off in in the town, you go up, yeah. and then all of a sudden there's nothing, just yeah. just yeah, coast, just coast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. brilliant. And yeah. it's like a nice rocky edge, 
yeah it's, it's a bit and uh, we when i did it a few years ago there were sheep just roaming and stuff, mm, just... Mm. I, I mean i heard them i didn't see them but yeah you could hear them that's mad that's mad and what a chapo to you to get out and get that done much <laughs> so just to now we're not done in a sense but just to start wrapping up what advice would you give to someone who's looking for an ultra mm-hmm. so You've done a Pan-Celtic race. It is one of the meatier ones yeah, yeah. Uh, out there, uh, both hilly and super long distance. You can get shorter ones, you mm-hmm. can get longer mm-hmm. ones, you can get off-road, on-road. What what advice do you have to people who are looking to do one and where can they start perhaps? Hmm. Um, I, w- I would say, you know, if you're looking to do your first ultra or first kind of long, long distance, um, you need to you need to approach it in a in a methodical way um if you've never done 1000 kilometers before don't think that you're just gonna knock out a thousand kilometers just like that it has to be incremental and it has to be you have you have to train your body to do to be able to do a certain amount of distance um and so that that comes with you know training but it also comes with you have to be realistic um whilst you know, yes, the Pan Celtic was my first first ever ultra. Um, you know, I would honestly say, you know, there are shorter ultras, and there and there's nothing, that, you know, there's 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 they're just as hard. You know, all points north isn't isn't an easy thing. You know, there there's a new ultra that's just come out um, from last year, the Solstice Sprint. Again, you know, it might just be one thousand kilometers, but it's no no walk in the park, but at the very least, you know, knowing what I know now, they're in the UK. So it's familiar territory. It's somewhere that possibly I could go and recce a ride, you know, once mm-hmm. or twice and just understand it for myself, especially like, you know, if you don't like hills, um, that could be something that you could work towards and you could go there and do the actual, some of the routes as well. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, it, it, the Pan Celtic is one of the meteor ones, and I would say, you know, don't, 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 don't get hyped with YouTube and Instagram. Okay, these guys have been doing it. They do it professionally. Um, you know, they they ride professionally as well. So, you know, they they have the body to be able to consistently do these things um, and to do these crazy rides, sort of thing. Um, especially when you're following, you know, some of the guys that you know do ultras throughout the whole year um you know so be realistic in in your goals and and you know but but gain gain um you know the 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 i suppose the the impetus from these people to to be able to want to do these things but i would say and and again one of one of the things that you know i should have done was just maybe try a few audaxes um i definitely you know this is something that going forward i definitely want to want to try out as well um and then it'll get you into that mindset um and to be able to 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 be able to kind of do your first ultra sort of thing but also um i have i have to say one one of the things that prepared me a lot for this as well was the eu tour that we did the, those back-to-back rides every single day you know and it was and it was all day as well it wasn't just half a day that wind it, was brutal yeah and that 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 wind in Amsterdam that that prepared I think that prepared me more so for Wales than anything else because that was brutal um but you know we managed to get through it as as a group as a team um but having those back-to-back rides um really gave me the confidence to say that you know a I'm comfortable on the bike doing that consistently after three days. Um, and then, you know, B, just the fact that, you know, even after once we'd finished, once I got home, I was, I was okay. I was all right. It wasn't, it wasn't that, oh God, I can't look at the bike again. So that, again, it, I think the support from doing those rides and obviously speaking to yourself and, and Musa as well, um, helped me a lot to be able to, you know, the advice that I got on on that trip um took it onto the pan celtic as well so again you know there are there are there are there is support there as well it's just being able to tap into that support and being being truthful and vulnerable enough to be able to to accept that support as well yeah i think 
for stuff like this, you can't be a hard man. No. You've got to no. seek out the advice. Yeah. You've got to Absolutely. put the work in as well mm. and uh, go to the so-called experts as yeah. well. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, well done on finishing. Like I said, you're one of very few people to have completed your run. And um, so my question to you now is like, what next? What's next? <laughs> I think I'm asking myself the same question. Um, I... Honestly, I thought that after the after the ultra, and especially during during the whole the whole process, I didn't think that I would want to do an ultra again. But coming back home and you know talking to everyone about it, and I don't I don't not enjoy them. It's it's something that I want to I don't want to explore and 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 to explore a little bit further. Um, but maybe maybe I'll, this year I'll probably stay in the UK. Um, maybe one of the shorter ultras. But you know, it's definitely it's definitely something I want to explore a little bit more. But also a lot more gravel riding um, and a lot more bike packing as well. So whilst we've got a little bit more daylight and whatever sun that we have, I'll try to try to ex- explore a little bit more with the bike packing and and uh, and the touring. Yeah, well, you've got all the kit. So. <laughs> In a right yeah. <laughs> Do you know where the scholarship is headed next? It's, you were the third cohort, if I'm not Yeah, mistaken. so I think, so again, the, the next cohort will, will start, so the applications will, will um, or the application forms will go out quite soon for the next cohort, cohort to to apply for. And I think, um, yeah, it will it will start again sort of thing. There was a, le- there was a, there was a lot of learnings from, from our cohort that we we gave feedback of uh, feedback to which um inshallah there there hopefully there will be a slight change to to kind of um s- some certain specific things um and again it, it it almost whilst whilst you're being afforded the the scholarship you feel like you know you're just part part of this this bigger bigger umbrella sort of thing and once you you know now you know a lot of these a a lot of the guys on the scholarship now I can call friends I can call like mentors and people that I can just text and you know um, give me advice on a bike or some components or whatever and they're always happy to happy to support sort of thing so you know again it's another support network it's another group of friends it's another kind of cycling community that um, inshallah I hope that you know, a lot more of our brothers and sisters can, inshallah, um, be a part of um, to get them into that process if they want into long distance ultra cycling. So this is my question. It's, it's not on the run sheet. It's, it's something I've been thinking about for mm-hmm. a long time, though. So the ultra distance scholarship, they uh, prepare free riders with everything. Mm-hmm. And if you monetize that, you're looking at any plus... It's way more than five thousand mm-hmm. pounds, mm-hmm. perhaps even close to ten thousand, mm-hmm. give mm-hmm. or take. Mm-hmm. Would it not be a better? This is your opinion, of course. Like, would it not be a better idea to perhaps? So that's approximately fifteen to thirty thousand pounds, mm-hmm. right? Would it not be better to still pre- wholly prepare, but not to such a greater extent? Ten riders, perhaps, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. fifteen, or mm-hmm. a grand each. Mm-hmm two grand each perhaps Mm -hmm. would it not be a better idea to get that depth as opposed to kitting out three guys Mm, that's a difficult it's it's a difficult question isn't it um i i suppose for for myself um you know it's a hell of a lot of stuff that you receive as well as just the this the support infrastructure um and i think whilst you know the the, the the whole topic of diversity and inclusivity when it comes to cycling is is still a huge it's a huge topic and there's still a lot of work that needs to be done um, within the various facets of cycling um, I think being able to being able to support some individuals from beginning to end that they themselves can start being that support network for others um, whilst it's not the remit of the ultra distance scholarship um, I think this is part of 
what the message is is okay so i've done this all now i've received all of this so what you know so what um what what do we do with this uh, for, th this is my own opinion as well and this is the reason why i i even applied for the scholarship is what do i do with this afterwards what can whatever i've learned from this how can how can i adopt this so that i can i can help my community not just the muslim community but some of some of the guys that i ride in north london with um you know um what what can i do that it can help and yeah you know hopefully you know and inshallah the scholarship can get a lot more bigger and more sponsors can come on board where they can be at a point start start um sponsoring more than three people 10 15 people but i think what it needs is you know and i know we've spoken about this it there needs to be more action than just talk there needs to be a lot more and, and you know Asha, there's a lot of people doing a lot of work and action um it just needs a little bit more and it can come from individuals it doesn't we don't have to wait for these organizations to to talk about to talk about this even within our own communities it can start from our own selves and how how we inspire each other to be able to to do what we want to do um and to be able to you know say that you know what we're here and not only are we here we can we can do it you know um alhamdulillah i was fortunate enough to be able to be sponsored and to be able to have got all the all the equipment but there was another individual um jag um who she got the lantern rouge um so she finished um the 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 pan celtic i think a day after myself um with you know she did it on her uh, from her own self she's 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 an asian woman um strong rider and she did that all by herself um we have people within our communities that can do these things um we also need to shout out about it and say that you know we are here and we are willing to do to do to do these things um but also um kind of helping some of these organizations to be able to get them to talk not only talk on our behalf um but also to let you know these race these races and and these you know these events know that you know there are people willing to attend them there just needs to be some refinement that's all it is because there are certain things holding it back from a culture point of view that some you know some brothers and sisters might not want to attend it and i totally understand it but this is where the conversation needs to carry on and 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 i hope inshallah within within the next few years it won't be just three it will be you know many more and hopefully we can get a lot more people into into these events um where it's not just you know six people i think it was this year yeah this year it was only six people of color um on 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 the start line but many more inshallah and I guess this is what we're trying to do as well. Like, yeah. just highlight those people. We mentioned Hashim already, Altaf. Yeah, Altaf as well. Farouk, who does yeah. a ton of all yeah. yeah, completed London, Edinburgh, London recently Amazing. as well. Amazing. And I'm sure he's got Paris, Brest, Paris on the bucket list very soon. <laughs> so, these people, yeah. like, inc continue to encourage and yeah. support them and uh, hopefully encourage and support others and aspire. And this is exactly what you talked about coming back and just hoping to try and get other people into it. Because in our community, it's, it's wonderful, alhamdulillah. It's, it's the same way it started with cycling as well. It was like one person who brings in two people and that those two people bring in another two. So mm -hmm. that's four. Yeah. Those four bring in four, that's eight. And then they just multiply. So it's good that we've now got people, finally, Osman as well, going out Osman, there. Osman, yes, yes, Osman. Going out there, completing yeah. them, having a go, and then bringing it back and sharing it, basically. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to just uh, yeah, this is what I'm doing and salamu alaikum in yeah, the sense, you yeah, know what I mean. So yeah, yeah. on that topic of Farouk, he sent in a listener question. Uh -huh. uh, he asks, so he's he's obviously a stickler for long distance and yeah. suffering and all the rest of it. So <laughs> he's got a question for you. What did you say to yourself, or what did you do to help push through the inevitable tough times? Um, so this was a tip from my mentor. Um, and I took this with me 
throughout throughout the whole the whole time which was instead of looking at the race as a whole race is just break the whole thing down into manageable chunks um so you know i broke i broke down the route into 50 kilometer chunks for the whole thing um and i knew the names of the cities because i'd read my excel file so once i'd passed the city mentally i knew that i've done that part of the race now i can forget about it don't worry about it now go on to the next city or go on to the next 50k so that definitely helped as well just not looking at it as the whole distance but breaking it down um and then you know you kind of got your waypoint so you know you know around Brittany, you had your first kind of your first first city then your second city then the first checkpoint and so on and so forth you go that way um up until you kind of finish finish the race the other thing was is knowing how much food you've got because knowing how much food you've got allows you to understand how far you can go without worrying about stopping and it could be really easy as you're as you're going past shops to think oh i might need i might need um and then you're wasting so much time stopping at shops um that you don't really need um but then on the flip side, you're going through spaces where there are no shops at all. There's no water at all. So what do you do? So it's understanding what your body needs. Um, and one of the things that really helped me was just the, um, I had a, on, on my hip, um, a water bladder that I could sip from, from a straw. And I think that really helped a lot to kind of not only hydrate myself, but preserve my water at the same time. Because when you're drinking from a bottle, especially in the heat that we had um all but one day in France, you run the risk of glugging half the half your water bottle before you know you can get to a water source sort of thing. Um, so yeah, just just those things, and then um, probably a tip that Musa gave me on for the hills was just count one, two, three, four, constantly just in my head, so I wouldn't worry about the elevation as just counting it constantly in my head, um, and then when times were really hard it was just saying one pedal at a time um if i could get one foot in front of the other it meant that i was still cycling mm -hmm. which meant that i was doing a lot more distance than if i'd stopped yeah. so yeah those are the things that kind of helped me along fair enough and then we've got another from zahir mm -hmm. or fasted 500 he asks anything you'd change about the bike setup and anything you might do different yeah, I wouldn't put the TT bars on it. I hardly use them. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I only use them just to just to take the pressure off my bottom a little bit when it got... Alhamdulillah, I didn't get any saddle sores, um, but just to relieve that pressure slightly. You know, when, when you get to a point where you're like kind of juggling from one side to the other, it trying to kind of relieve the pressure off it. But I didn't really use it that much. It was only kind of used for real estate at the front because I could add bags to them. So, you know, going forward, maybe looking at a better setup on my handlebar that I could have everything have everything on. So, yeah, definitely a TT bars. And maybe I would do away with the frame bag as well. Um, whilst it was handy putting kind of like my tools in, um, I could have not had that and had two extra big water bottles yeah, yeah, yeah. that I could have had a lot more like preserved water for that I could have put in the bladder afterwards sort of thing or... Or you know one for one for electrolytes and the other you know for normal water sort of thing. So, yeah, those are the things I probably change on the bike if I was to do an uh, another another ultra. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah, I think those those are the things I I probably change. That's super insightful, Tabs, and I really appreciate you coming on actually coming over as well having done a live <laughs> podcast in a really really long time so. well i've been spoiled with this coffee it's no. one of the best coffees i've really? had okay <laughs> so just shout out to hotel chocolat <laughs> cafe latte if you want to sponsor this podcast <laughs> now nah, message there is a hotel chocolat I'm, I'm a big fan myself cafe latte the velvetizer mm, um, mm, but yeah it's nice girl. it's nice right <laughs> anyway so now alaikum